Welcome to the Live Better Show with Brett and Jason. We spend time with top-performing professionals in their respective fields, chatting about anything from morning routines, creative processes and biohacks, to healthy habits and travel destinations. Today we have CEO and founder of Adventure Out, Cliff Hodges. Cliff holds a bachelor's and master's degree from MIT. He's an accomplished entrepreneur and outdoor guide, traveling the world to climb mountains, surf big waves, study with indigenous tribes, and lead groups of clients, ranging from school groups to corporate executives to tap into their true potential through wilderness adventures. Hodges has been featured in international publications such as Outside Magazine and Popular Mechanics and has been featured on the National Geographic Channel. Adventure Out is California's premier outdoor school, specializing in surf camps, rock climbing classes, backpacking trips, mountain biking, and wilderness survival skills instruction. Their mission is to share decades of wilderness experience while achieving the wildest adventures in the outdoors. In addition to ensuring that students enter the oceans and wilderness areas both safely and responsibly, Adventure Out strives to instill a sense of environmental stewardship. They're a member of the 1% for the planet, which donates a portion of gross revenues to environmental conservation. Our mission for you, our esteemed listeners, and the greatest people ever in the history, is to demonstrate effective techniques of high performers to help you achieve results in your own life. Learning from productive and accomplished individuals gives the opportunity to break down the nuances of success and hopefully provide you with a new way to think about the world. Listen, take notes, and take action. Live Live better better and have have the best best day ever. ever. God, we ham it. Ham it. Today's show is brought to you by Acure Skincare for your skin, for the planet. Personally, with the goal of living forever, I love the anti-aging Argan Stem Cell plus Corella Growth Factor Night Cream and the Organic Balancing Rose plus Red Tea Facial Toner. I really like the Volume Shampoo and Conditioner along with the Cell Stimulating Body Wash. Great combo. Look good, feel good, live better. Today's show is also brought to you courtesy of Go Raw. We all snack, so let's do it with all organic, non-GMO, vegan, nut-free, gluten-free, sprouted, and raw snacks. Junk-free food by Go Raw is a perfect midday, pre, or post-workout snack. Have a sweet tooth? Go with their sprouted cookies, raw chocolate, or sweet spirulina bites. Savory lovers? Check out their flax snacks or salad bowls. Every choice is a good choice with Go Raw. Healthy snacking, living better. Hey, Cliff, thanks so much. Uh, welcome to the Live Better podcast. We're super excited to have you on the show today. Um, thanks, guys. I'm, I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, we're, it's going to be awesome. Um, so can we just start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself, um, what you currently do, and then kind of your career path to, to getting to where you're at? Sure, yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Cliff Hodges. I'm the owner and founder of a company called Adventure Out. Um, We've been in business a little over 10 years, which is kind of hard to believe. I was just telling someone yesterday, I can't even believe I've been an adult for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, um, but Adventure Out, we're we're one of the California's largest outdoor school and guide services. We do all kinds of cool outdoor activities as guides, surf camps, rock climbing, backpacking, mountain biking, uh, and we teach wilderness survival. That's probably what we're best known for is our survival school. Um, I teach primitive wilderness survival, which means survival from an indigenous perspective, all materials and tools found out on the landscape. So that's, uh, that's what I do, that's what I teach, and that's what my business does. I have about 25 employees that are guides and instructors that work with me. And um, God, how did, I, how, how did my career path get me here was the last question. Yes. It's <laughs> uh, a long one. Um, you know, I mean, more than anything, I got, I ended up doing what I am doing because it's something I'm really passionate about, and it was a, it was a personal choice. I mean, I have a bachelor's and master's degree in electrical engineering, and uh, obviously, I don't do that. So, <laughs> I made a pretty conscious decision a little over ten years ago that I wanted to do something with my life that was really meaningful to me and that I was really passionate about, and that's that's why I do what I do. That's awesome. Awesome. So what's your yeah. what's your favorite offering that Adventure Out provides? I was looking, I saw there was a yoga and surf that sounds pretty cool, but uh, I wanted to hear what, what your favorite is. Yeah, we, so, I mean, God, I don't know, it probably changes every couple months. Um, <laughs> but I would say right now my favorite offering is one of the classes that I still do teach myself, and that's our 
um, bow making class. So that's part of the survival school. I teach a class in um, native style bow making. So it's three days uh, working basically a big log all the way down to a shooting hunt worthy longbow. That is awesome. Yeah, so that's probably my definitely my favorite survival class. The yoga surf one is a great one. We do a surf trip to Baja every year. That's one of my favorite ones to lead because I get to go on a surf trip to Baja. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's yeah. awesome. So, what is the uh, what is the coolest or most impactful experience you've had doing what you've done so far, either as a like professional teaching or just personally gotten experience? Sure. Yeah. So. Professionally, you know, I think for me, one of the defining real mission statements of the company is that we we work to help people fall back in love with nature. And it sounds it sounds kind of flowery, I realize, but um, it also is a really for me a really important mission statement because I always have considered myself and the work I do to be environmental work and. The reason I think that is because we really create stakeholders. You know, we take people and get them outdoors and experiencing nature and reconnecting with nature so that they actually care about environmental issues. They feel like stakeholders in our natural spaces and actually want to do something to protect the few natural spaces we have left. So, you know, whenever I get to run a program where I'm getting someone out into nature, whether that be in the ocean or on top of a mountain or in the middle of a forest, and they're interacting with nature for the first time in a really long time, that to me is always extremely powerful because, you know, you can see it on their face, you can see their emotional state and their ability to de-stress and reconnect, and so all of those moments are, to me, really phenomenally special when I get someone outside for the first time in a long time. Yeah, that's awesome. So the, la- the last time we talked, you told us a uh, a story about your encounter with a bear and your bow and arrow. I would love to hear that again, and I think our listeners would enjoy it too. Yeah, I tell <laughs> that story. You know, hunting is, seems to be a pretty hot topic item on the internet these days. Um, so I think I would uh, I would preface this hunting story with just an explanation of you know why I hunt and the way I hunt. So I don't you know I don't hunt with a gun. I don't even hunt with a modern bow and arrow. I hunt with all um, Stone Age tools that I make myself. I make my own bows. I chip my own arrowheads um, and make my own arrows out of all natural materials. And I spend a lot, a lot of hours every year preparing to hunt. And so, and the reason I do it is one, I definitely eat everything I hunt. I don't hunt for sport. And two, I really do it to keep these ancient human skills alive because there's really not many people left on the planet that are hunting with all handmade bows and arrows. Yeah. Um, so now that I've kind of contextualized it a little <laughs> bit, the the bear story is several years ago I was invited to go hunt black bear up in Northern California. And uh, it was a guy who had come and seen all the stuff I make at the classes, the bows, the arrows, the stone tools. And he had a friend who was a hunting guide up in Northern California, up near Shasta. And so he invited me up there. And, you know, I kind of went. I hunted deer a bunch up into that point smaller game and I, I don't think I even really expected to shoot anything I, I, I almost went because I thought it was just going to be a cool experience and I was going to sit in the woods for a few days and see some uh, black bears up close and so I got up there in the middle of the night got all my equipment out and ready and uh, the guy who was guiding me came up and asked to see my equipment and he took one look at my stone point arrows and he kind of this crusty old guy, and he looked at me in the face, and the only thing he said to me was, that ain't going to kill no bear. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that was a real confidence booster. And um, we went out the next morning. We were out. Uh, I was up in a tree stand, and we were out probably around 4, 4.30 in the morning. And when you do, when you hunt with a lot of primitive tools, you do a lot of sitting and a lot of waiting. You track, you set up your spot, and you do a lot of waiting and observing because you have to be really quiet and you have to be really, really close. Um, Probably about 10 in the morning, so I've been up in this tree for six hours at this point. I saw a mother and a cub go by at about 40 yards. Um, Why that may sound like a close shot to somebody who hunts with a gun with a handmade bow and arrow, that's 
way too far. I generally don't shoot at anything beyond 10 to 15 yards. Uh, so I let those two go by, and about an hour later, around 11 in the morning, I heard a rustling behind me. And I turn around, and there's a huge adult male uh, California black bear up on its hind legs, swatting acorns out of an oak tree. And the whole, you know, the whole experience was so quick and so everything happened so fast from the time that I heard that noise behind me to turning around in my tree stand, seeing the bear, bringing my bow to a full draw and releasing that arrow and that arrow going through two lungs of that bear was probably no more than like somewhere around four to six seconds. Wow. So, <laughs> so you wait seven hours. <laughs> quick and a very, very surreal experience. You know, it was, uh, I almost felt like my body and my hands and everything were being moved for me. I don't even really remember making that conscious decision of was I going to shoot or was I not going to shoot. And it was a perfect shot. You know, I could hunt every single year for the rest of my life and, never have a shot and an experience like that ever again. So it was, it was a really just very, very powerful, powerful experience, but one that I'm, I'm glad I was able to have and, and really participate in and keep, keep those skills alive. Yeah. I think that's such a cool story. Hearing it, it kind of reminds me of why I love nature and that's because it keeps you so present. I was listening to Laird Hamilton talk about surfing big waves the other day. And the comment that he made was kind of like, once you're out there, there's nothing else. It's just you in the ocean as if time stops. Uh, I think that's why people love like even things like ultra endurance competitions, surfing big waves or go for the total immersion in nature, like sitting in a tree for six plus hours because it kind of gets you <laughs> back to, to only wanting like three things, just food, shelter and water and daily yeah. concerns are bottom of the list and then under the under your kind of new circumstances and context, you realize you really don't need much to have just awesome experiences and, and to really have a powerful moment like that. Yeah. You know, we really don't need much. And, and, uh, I think having that time out in nature can be so meditative and it's so, you know, it's so important, important. I think that's where human beings go to recharge our batteries and, it's kind of crazy to think about how many people aren't doing that on a daily basis. And so how many hundreds of millions of people are walking around this planet every day that aren't recharging their batteries. They're not reconnecting with the planet we actually live on. And it's, um, it's kind of scary. It's a little crazy how, how far removed our day to day lives are and our societies are from, from the natural planet we live on. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so I guess the way I recharge my battery every day is, is with a pretty sustained morning routine. So I want to ask you a two-part question here. One, when you're out in nature, totally immersed, what does your morning routine like look like? So right when you wake up in the morning, what are the couple of things you're checking for? Um, what are you doing, whether you're with a group or by yourself? And then what is your morning routine like when you wake up in your house? And how does it differ? And how does that <laughs> kind of change? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it it can it can really depend on what what am I doing out in nature. You know, mm -hmm. if I'm out for like a survival immersion experience, generally my morning routine is gonna um, consist of getting the fire relit. Usually, your fire has gone out in the middle of the night, or at least has gone really low. So, tending fire is generally one of the very first things I do in the morning out in a survival or wilderness immersion setting, um, and after taking care of fire usually the next step is to go collect water from our water source whatever that may be it could be a creek or a river it could be possibly a rain catchment system uh, i've built could be a lot of different things so it's really kind of working your way through a lot of those basic necessities i tend fire i collect water um, a lot of times there's shelter work to be done so if i'm in a survival experience and i've built some sort of natural or earthen shelter Usually that long, cold night ex exposes any errors or yeah. <laughs> in your shelter. And there's time spent sort of fixing and improving on the shelter. Um, and then lastly, we move into food, which obviously is something that's super important and we all need to sustain ourselves. But 
it's funny, I always have to remind my students, generally food is the least important thing in a survival situation. You need to take care of your shelter and your water and your fire uh, well in advance of having to worry about food and, and calorie intake. So that's kind of my, you know, my routine when I'm out in the woods and out in a survival immersion experience type of setting, whether I'm by myself or with clients. We're going through that same thing of taking care of the basic necessities. Um, when I'm at home, it's pretty different. <laughs> <laughs> Turn on the AC. <laughs> yeah, it definitely starts with coffee. Uh, it, it starts with a big cup of coffee before anything else. Um, and then usually the very first thing I do after that is I check the surf. So I get online, check the cams, check the tide all the buoy and swell models and decide if I'm going to go surfing that morning. That's awesome. um, probably the only caveat to that if is, is if it's hunting season, if it's bow season, I'll usually skip surfing and, and go out hunting first thing in the morning. That's awesome. So when you're, when you're out in nature and you're on one of these long excursions, if you could make, let's say a trail mix that consisted of five, five ingredients, what would what would that trail mix look like? Five ingredients trail mix. Um, I would. I definitely get some protein in there. I'd have some sort of jerky, some type of meat jerky, probably a beef jerky. Um, I'd have a good fat source, so probably one or two different kinds of nuts. My uh, I love cashews. Um, of course, there's a debate whether they're nuts or legumes or whatever. But <laughs> we'll go with nuts. <laughs> yeah. Probably cashews and almonds. So I'd have my okay. jerky, my cashews and almonds, and then I'd get some carbohydrates in there with some dried fruit. My two favorite dried fruits, I'm actually more of a berry guy than a, than a fruit, so I'd probably have some dried, uh, dried blueberries and dried strawberries in nice. there. That sounds great. It sounds powerful. And definitely something that could propel you through the day. Definitely, yeah. You got one of you know some of each of the macronutrients. You've got fat, protein, and carbohydrates. Yep. Getting a good balance in there, um, and you know, and it's all basics. I'm yeah. not. I wouldn't add anything complex. I wouldn't add anything modern or processed. Just real whole foods. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, so, in addition to the trail mix. Um, what are the top five or ten items or tools you always pack in your bag? I'm sure that's sure. trip dependent, but maybe just uh, give the the overall essentials. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So most essential items um, for me, the, probably the two most essential items are a knife and water purification, whether that be a device or tablets. Um, but not having to purify your water can take an enormous amount of work off of your hands out in whether you're in a full survival experience or even just you know backpacking out with some modern gear so a knife is such a great multi-purpose tool i use my knife for everything from fire construction to trap building to shelter construction um and then i would definitely second on that list is the water purification after those two definitely kind of starting to move into just some more convenience items. I feel like with those two things, I could get by just about anywhere. If I know I'm going to be facing extreme temperatures, like especially extreme cold, then quality clothing, warm technical clothing would be right up there on the list um, so that I'm not constantly facing, you know, threat of hypothermia, and threat of exposure. And then, like, yeah, like I said, beyond that, probably just some convenience items, things like uh, you know, headlamp, water bottle, a uh, couple other things like that. Definitely really good footwear, a good pair of boots. It's amazing how crippling a foot injury or even small cuts and lacerations can be um, when you're not in town, but you're out in the middle of the wilderness. So I'm not really someone who packs a lot of really a uh, ton of convenience items. I generally bring my bare basics. If I have a knife, I can start a fire, and I can peer from my water, and I'm comfortable in my clothing. Uh, I'm pretty set. You leave the uh, you leave the cure egg at home. Yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> so when you're out in nature with just those couple basic items, what is your favorite food that you find out in nature that's not an animal? 
So if you're foraging out in the forest and you come upon something, what is like, thank the Lord that I found this thing. It's my favorite thing I can find out here. Definitely berries, okay. berries of any kind. Uh, we have a lot of huckleberries around here and a ton of blackberries here in Northern California. So probably, yeah, the, the thing I'm most happy to find is a great berry source. I can sit around and gorge myself on <laughs> berries all day long. I was up in the Olympic Peninsula last summer and uh, was out there for a few weeks and it was right as the salmon berries were coming in to harvest. And I think I probably got I probably ate like a five gallon bucket of salmon <laughs> berries every single day. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, little, little gear switch. What is the biggest, biggest risk you've ever taken? And this could be, this could have a positive or negative result. Sure. I mean, I think the biggest risk I ever, I ever taken was deciding to do what I do for a living. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, I mean, I had a pretty sure bet thing as far as at least being relatively successful. I mean, to take care of myself. So I had a bachelor's and master's degree from MIT, which is a really great school and pretty much could have done anything I wanted to coming out of MIT with, with degrees like that and being near the top of my class. And I worked as an engineer in that field for all of three months. <laughs> and I just didn't take too long. Yeah, I decided that it wasn't it wasn't me. It wasn't what I wanted to be doing. I wasn't passionate about it. I wasn't living my vision. I just wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing with my life. So after all those years and not a small amount of money to to get those two degrees from MIT, I decided to walk away from a very safe and stable career path and start an outdoor school. Well, we're all glad you uh, you took that jump. That's that's uh, definitely ballsy after three months. Yeah, I didn't really give it much time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked out. Um, it worked out. Yeah, you know, and I always kind of wonder what would have happened if my first job in tech would have been really cool. Like, it wasn't. <laughs> it was kind of a bad job. You know, I mean, it was like more money than I had ever seen. And it was for a big company. But it was really the sort of day-to-day of it was very boring. Yeah. I was in like a total office space environment. I was in a cubicle in a basement and um, and, you know, that, I'm sure that added to the misery of it and me feeling like I wasn't fulfilling my life's potential, but yeah, sometimes I wonder, well, what if my first job was at like Google where they have like all these employee perks and break time and employee retreats and all this stuff. And who knows, <laughs> maybe I still would have decided it wasn't for me and I did something different, but maybe not. I actually, you know, I have no idea. It's a big what if. A good what if though. Yeah, Definitely. <laughs> So what risk would you recommend taking? Oh, uh, what risk? <laughs> Everyone quit their job after three months? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, the what risk would I recommend taking? I'd recommend doing what you love as a job. And it sounds silly and it sounds so easy, but most people don't. Most people I know hate their job. Yeah. Um, most people I know get up and go to an office because it provides security and provides them with a paycheck. And, you know, there's smart times and not smart times to do it. If you're if you're a family with, like, a six-month-old baby, maybe you shouldn't quit your secure <laughs> job and go, do, go start your own business. But find a point in your life where you can take a risk like that because it is, sounds so corny, but it is so true when they say when, when you do what you love, you never work a day again in your life. And, I really feel that way. I mean, I work my tail off of times where we're so busy with so many programs that I'm working 10 to 15 hour days every day for months in a row. But it just it's I don't have a defining line between my life and my work. It's just is who I am. And it's it's a great feeling. Yeah, that's great. I think um, that's such an amazing shift and coming out of college to where you are now. How has your philosophy or outlook on life changed as you've aged. I know everyone gets a little bit more mature and you get more responsibility, but how, how has that philosophy changed in, in terms of priorities and work-life balance and just kind of everything that you think about on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, it definitely has changed a lot. I think about who I was 11 years ago. Probably was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was. 
Um, you know, I think what's changed more than anything for me is how I relate with and work with other people more so than just like me and what I do with myself um, for a living. I think I always was really had a very strong belief in, in doing what I do. So I don't think that so much has changed, but definitely no matter what you do, whether you work in an office or you run an outdoor business, you, there's a, several billion people on this planet. You're going to end up running into one every once in a yeah. while. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think I'm much better at dealing with people when you run a small business and you have employees and you have several thousand customers every year, more than anything, you're working with and talking to people. And probably the biggest, biggest shift I've learned over the last 10 years is I've pretty much given up on trying to make people think the way that I think. Yeah. Um, and move more to a strategy of trying to see the world the way other people see it when I'm working with people. And whether that's dealing with someone who I'm working with, or maybe it's conflict resolution with, someone who's unhappy with something I've done or my company's done, but no matter what, I've really learned that you're wasting your breath and wasting your time when you're constantly trying to convince other people of your point and your argument. And life life gets a whole lot easier when you just try to see the world through other people's eyes and understand why they think the way they do instead of trying to change their mind. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great uh, a great outlook to have. Definitely keeps you personally happy for longer. <laughs> it keeps me so much personally happier. I don't stress out about, you know, trying to be right and trying to be correct. Yep. Trying to make make everyone else think that I'm right because that clearly never worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a lot easier. Life was a lot easier when I let go of those, those kinds of ideas. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I, I think I read somewhere that you uh, you took a bunch of trips as a kid, which I assume had a pretty positive influence on why you love the outdoors so much. Can you tell us a little about your your childhood and and growing up? Yeah, I mean, I had, I really had a great childhood. I can I have wonderful parents. They're both still alive and together. And I mean, I think having the courage to do what I've done with my life has a lot come from having a really loving and supportive family background. Um, my parents were always big believers in travel and education. They always thought, you know, the more places you see in the world and the more people you see and interact with, just the more worldly of a person you can become. So, I mean, we did, did a little bit of international traveling as a child, um, definitely throughout the Americas, um, and then just tons of traveling within the United States. I mean, every summer was road trips or going to the east coast and i think we camped in just about every single national park in the country um and yeah my parents are just big believers in seeing the world more of it the better that's super cool i think i think traveling is an amazing thing and i think uh being able to see so many places is so cool um, it's so cool it's, and it's there's there's it's an experience, you know, it's experiences you can't get without traveling. There's no way to mimic that or recreate it in a, at home. It is, you just can't get it without going out and seeing the world. And, uh, yeah, you know, most Americans don't even own a passport. That's <laughs> yeah. It's, I, I mean, I, I love to travel. I feel like a lot of, of who I am today and how I think about things has been a result of travel. I studied abroad, um, during college and have been abroad a few times, and I love a bunch of different kinds of nat- uh, different kinds of uh, natural settings, but um, not sure I can top how many places you've been to. So, what is your favorite travel destination, and what kind of significance does that have for you? Mm, my favorite travel destination, um, I'd say, I kind of. Well, I mean, I kind of have. I kind of do, as a surfer, I basically, most surfers, I think, would understand this. There's two different kinds of vacations. There's, or not vacations, but trips. There's surf trips and there's not surf trips. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Everything falls into those two categories. Uh, so, you know, as far as surf trips go, I my most favorite place in the world is going to Indonesia and going to Bali. Um, I absolutely love Bali. I love the people. I love the culture. I love the waves. 
Um, it's just such a unique and interesting part of the world. I've been to Bali four times now. Um, I've been there twice with my wife surfing and while she does yoga and twice with buddies just to surf our brains out. Um, and I think it's just one of the most fascinating places on the planet. I love the, the, uh, Hindu culture and, um, yeah, I can't say enough really positive things about Bali and, um, probably my favorite non-surf trip, uh, even with all the countries I've been to is still right here in the United States and that's going to the state of Montana. I have a friend who lives just outside of Bozeman. I go there almost every year to fly fish and bow hunt and kind of hang out there on that northern gateway to Yellowstone. And that still to me is one of the most beautiful spots on the planet from a nature perspective. That's super cool. Um, so you've traveled a lot of places, probably met a lot of amazing people on those travels. Who's one person you haven't met yet that you would love to meet and why? Oh, man, one person I haven't met yet and would love to meet. Uh, do they have to be alive? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you still want to meet them, then yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One person that I would love to meet would probably be... Um, hmm. You know, speaking of Montana, I'd love to meet Ted Turner. Okay. The guy, the guy's a pretty pretty interesting guy to me. Um, what he does from a conservation perspective, you know, the guy. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that think he's an absolute lunatic. I know he's got quite a reputation on him, um, and as a businessman, but he also has taken land conservation upon himself as just a duty, and he buys up land repeatedly over and over again, and. Uh, and has left it all, you know, for when he leaves this planet to be protected for all of eternity. That's awesome. And sometimes we rely so much on government for that kind of thing that we forget that as private citizens, we have the ability to, to do the very same thing. And I think that's, that's really, really cool. So probably from a environmental, like land conservation perspective, I'd love to meet Ted Turner and I'd also really love to meet Yvonne Chouinard, the guy who founded Patagonia. Yeah, oh, nice. because I've really always looked up to him from a from a business perspective yep. of someone who really runs a business with a great amount of integrity and, and environmental dedication. That's those are two just amazing people, super successful and, and successful in their own right. I think it's just it's admirable to to want to meet people that are kind of in the same realm. I think we all just think of some people we'd love to meet. So those two people are are amazing. Yeah, they're both amazing, and they're both, to my knowledge, people who started with nothing. I yeah. don't think they were, neither of them were like big family money or anything like that. They're both insanely successful who grew up pretty average, normal people. That's awesome. Um, okay, outside the box question. Pick an animal to describe yourself and why. And this could be representative of your personality or just a, an animal that you you like sure i always i've always felt very connected to and love dolphins um, oh it's mine <laughs> and the Me reason too. why is i look you know they have the reputation i obviously i've never spoken with one personally but <laughs> they have the scientific reputation yeah. as, as being one of the most intelligent animals on the planet and even though they are that way they still love to play and you always see dolphins. I see dolphins almost every day when I surf here in Santa Cruz. And, you know, they're not, they may be one of the smartest animals in the world, but they're not building stupid machines. <laughs> we are, they're choosing to play in the ocean. You see yeah. them jumping up and down and swimming together. And they really have sort of just emanate joy in a really amazing way that they interact with their environment. And so that's why I've always really identified with them. I've always thought life, life should be fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. I was actually, uh, surfing in, uh, in South Carolina a couple of years ago and, uh, I was out with my cousin and we were the only ones out and, uh, just one dolphin came by and was like swimming under us and around and he just looked like he was smiling at us and it was so awesome. Nice. That's really cool. Yeah. They're such beautiful animals and, and curious and get close to people and yeah, just really, 
amazing experience to have and I feel lucky to be able to see them so often out in the water. Yeah, that's cool. I, I was uh I saw one of the most recent National Geographic issues I think was um had a feature on trying to understand uh or and and or create a language for dolphins. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They were trying to trying to study and catalog noises and replicate behavior, which would be pretty awesome because um they had this it was some kind of machine that basically emitted sounds to teach dolphins certain actions so that at some point you could create a language to literally speak back and forth with dolphins. <laughs> that would be wow, amazing. that's yeah. pretty amazing. That's yeah. pretty fascinating. So when you're out in, in nature, um, I would say not with dolphins because they're not <laughs> scary. Maybe sharks. Um, do you, um, maybe sharks, yeah. <laughs> do you have a fear when you're out there? Uh, one thing that that's always kind of itching you maybe before you go to bed or, or when you're out there that, that still is, is just a little scary. Yeah. I, uh, depends on where I am. So, you know, sharks, I guess sharks do scare me as someone who surfs a lot. I, uh, they scare me. I also know that the likelihood of being attacked by a shark is pretty darn low. Um, so, the thing I think about the most is is when I go to Montana every year because that's the one, it's the only place where when I go bow hunting, I actually carry a sidearm. Oh, wow. Um, because we're in grizzly bear territory. Yeah. And those are one of the most amazing, beautiful, majestic, and <laughs> utterly terrifying <laughs> <laughs> on the planet. You know, they're they're so powerful and they can move so fast. Um, but also really quietly, and yeah, it's the, it's the only place that I've ever hunted where I carry a sidearm for protection because I do not. It's one animal I'm totally fine with seeing from really far away. I do, I do not <laughs> ever want to get remotely close to a grizzly bear. Yeah, so I think the average person is just scared in general of being out in nature um, due to the fact that. We're all urbanites now, and we all have our houses and our apartments and everything. So what would be, or I guess, how would you get the biggest nature-averse person out uh, in nature to camp out? So, I mean, we all have our friends who can't go can't go to work without first having their warm shower, second getting their nice cup of cappuccino in the morning. So how are you getting that person out in nature to, to you know, let loose and kind of get back? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, you got to make people comfortable and ease them into it. I, I do believe once people have spent a little time out in nature, they they learn to let go a little bit of those those daily necessities that they think they have. Um, but you got to you also can't push people into it. You know, if I have a friend like that, someone who needs their cappuccino every morning and their sports car and all that kind of stuff, I don't, I wouldn't make their first experience be a full survival immersion. You know, I, I, their first experience would be car camping with a big tent and a nice, comfortable air mattress and get them out there experiencing nature and seeing the joy of day hikes and campfires and, and the beauty of that before you force them into a more, you know, sort of raw, rudimentary survival experience. So I'm, I believe in easing people into it. I don't, I don't try to force people into doing stuff that's dangerous or uncomfortable right away. I, I've... Like I said, my goal is to make people fall back in love with nature so that they actually care about protecting our planet. And I don't achieve that if I'm just tossing people into really uncomfortable situations. Do you have a specific example of someone that you've done that with that has either loved it or hated it? I've never had anyone hate it. Okay. <laughs> good job. You're doing your uh, job. Really good. Yeah. And maybe I'm lucky or maybe I do a really good job. Of it. <laughs> we'll go with the ladder. We'll go with the ladder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, God, I remember one class, one class that always sticks out of my mind. I had this amazing class. Uh, God, it was hard to believe. It was pretty early on in the company. It was probably seven or eight years ago now with a nonprofit organization from East Oakland that did leadership training from kids that were, uh, you know, from really poor neighborhoods, really underserved communities, and kids that, that, you know, really didn't have a lot of opportunity. And we did this pro bono class, this survival and wilderness skills class. It wasn't even overnight. It was just one day out in the wilderness. And uh, when 
the kids got there, they were so, they'd hopped off the bus. It was exactly what you'd expect to see of 15 teenagers from an inner city being dropped off in the wilderness uh, for the first time. And their immediate response was like anger and hostility and no one wanted to be there. No one wanted to listen to anything I had to say. Um, and, you know, by the end of the day, these kids had completely turned around and everyone was laughing and smiling. A bunch of them came up and thanked me afterwards. And one of the kids even came up to me at the very end and said, this is the first time he'd ever seen a tree not, like, surrounded by cement, not planted wow. in a park or on a sidewalk. And wow. I'm thinking, God, this guy lives just, like, 20 minutes away from Redwood Forest, and this is really the first time he's ever been out in them whatsoever. And that's that's always been a really powerful experience that stuck out in my head. Yeah, I think, you know, walking, even taking your first good walk through the forest, just the guard and the shield comes down almost immediately. It's just too awe-inspiring not to kind of go all in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's what nature does. It's just, it's such a great equalizer. It really forces us out of our comfort zones and, and back to our, our basics. Yeah. So kind of, kind of related to those types of people who, who aren't, um, aren't thinking about nature all the time, I guess. I know you're a big proponent of environmental stewardship when you're in nature, I guess it's easier to stay present and kind of see why we need initiatives to take care of those beautiful places. But for city dwellers, this is often kind of like a, an out of sight, out of mind, Thing. How, how can people kind of champion some of these efforts in their big city, say if they don't have Ted Turner money <laughs> to be able to buy up land? Um, what kind of things can, can people get involved in or, or how can they really contribute to the welfare of these natural settings even from, from a big city? I mean, I, th I still think one of the most important things you can do is just get out into nature. Even from a big city, almost every big city in this country that I've been to has nature opportunities, be them parks or open spaces, less than an hour away. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're so lucky in, nor in North America. I mean, there's always more we can do. We always hear complaints about things that need to be done to make us more environmentally friendly. But we have some of the best land preservation and land conservation efforts and systems in this country than really almost any country on the planet. Um, and there, I, like I said, I don't know of an urban center that doesn't have an outdoor uh, opportunity very, very nearby it. Um, if, if you really feel like you don't know how to get out into that, most, most big urban centers have things like YMCAs or this local Sierra Club. There's almost always some sort of nonprofit organization or community center that will run trips, be them short things like day hikes or summer camps for kids, but there's really an enormous amount of, of opportunity to get out and, and experience nature in just about any urban center in this country. Yeah, that's cool. I feel like we just, people need to do a better job of, of getting widespread education out there younger. Like if you yeah, just, pull if you, up a map and look for the green areas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. They're on the map. That should <laughs> be everywhere. A they're really close to most cities. Yeah. Well. Should be a uh, prereq prerequisite now in like the second grade. It really, really should be. And it's, you know, it's kind of sad that it's not. Yeah. Um, maybe hopefully I think there's been a pretty big back to nature movement in the last decade or so in this country. Um, and I think that kind of stuff is becoming more popular. I find myself going into schools more often than I used to 10 years ago, but there's still just so much more that can be done. It's still considered optional. It's not required. Yeah. Agreed for sure. Yeah. Um, what, what is your favorite question to ask someone and what has been the most interesting answer to that question? Wow. That's a, that's a big one. What's my most your favorite question to ask? probably my most favorite question to ask when, especially when I'm working and I'm leading programs, be them surfing, climbing, survival, is asking people, when was the last time you did this or did something <laughs> like this? Um, and, and I love asking it, one, not only because they get some pretty amazing, crazy answers, but two, I think it, 
it inspires people to let it not be that long again. Yeah. You know, um, and I definitely probably the craziest answer is the answer I get a lot. And never. sadly, that answer is never. Gosh. And as people, when was the last time they were, I've had, I, we have people every year, several people take a surf lesson. I don't even ask them when was the last time they went surfing. I ask them when was the last time they were in the ocean. And <laughs> we have people answer quite regularly, never. Gosh. And that's, that's, you know, someone who grew up in the ocean, it almost sounds criminal. <laughs> <laughs> but on the bright side, you know, we broke that street. Yeah, you did it. <laughs> we got him. We got him out there. And so that's, that's, it's, the answer still blows me away every time, but at least one person at a time, we're changing that. Yeah, you get to provide that magic. I remember the first wave I ever stood up on, and it was the most unbelievable feeling. It's it's the most incredible thing. It's surfing is like nothing else on the planet, and I know that I will surf till the day I die, even if I lose my legs there <laughs> on my belly. Yeah, um, but there's nothing in this world like riding a wave. You're just you're floating, flying, smiling, tanning. It's great. Yeah, it's really it's a very special thing. <laughs> so you do all these outdoor things. I know you love to surf. You're obviously outside a lot. I also know that you own a CrossFit gym. I think right. I, you know, it's funny. I I did own two. I've sold them both in the last month and a half. Really? I did. Yeah. So I I I was I've been involved in CrossFit since really some of the earliest days. And the first affiliate I opened with my business partner, he had worked out at the very original CrossFit gym that Greg Glassman started and coached at on a daily basis. And my business partner and I opened an early gym, I think, and I think we're a gym number like maybe 80 or a hundred or something crazy like that out of, you know, what there is now over 10,000. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, the first gym we opened was one of the earliest ones that have been involved in CrossFit for almost eight or nine years, I think. Um, but yeah, earlier this year, just in the last couple of months, I sold the, both that first one and the second one I opened, and I still I still do CrossFit every day. I still love and believe in the methodology, but it's uh, it's been a very recent professional shift for me. Yeah, cool. I yeah, I was I was gonna ask uh, how how does uh, fitness play a role in your life, and and what do you do to work out besides the the adventure thing, but. Um... Maybe so. I know you're doing CrossFit. Then I guess all the time. What do you? What is? Uh, how does? How does fitness play a larger role in your life than just like the need for exercise? Yeah, you know, I think I think I get just as much out of fitness and, and working to stay fit as far as just basic mobility as I do actually needing to exercise, like trying to shed pounds or build muscle you know if i'm not that old yet but i'm like <laughs> i'm 35 and i and i do find that if i don't exercise regularly if i'm not doing crossfit or some other form of exercise regularly that things stiffen up um i have to work a lot harder than i used to to keep my body like mobile and to for all the things that i love to do i am so active it's it's really really important it would be it would be heartbreaking for me to lose that mobility. Yeah, Jason and I both are, are super into mobility and, and making sure that our bodies stay agile for all the fitness activities that we partake in. So if someone wanted to either start getting an education in in, in adventure or in, in kind of that physical activity, as those, both those routes you're very um, knowledgeable on, where would you tell them to begin? Well, for the outdoor stuff, I mean, shoot, it sounds like a shameless plug. But <laughs> I tell them to come take some of our programs. There you go. Um, you know, then I said it before. The name of the company is Adventure Out. Our website is adventureout.com. We have tons of classes for everything from total beginners to advanced people, and in, in all these different activities. Um, and I would, I would start there. From our activities, you can gain proficiency in a lot of these different. Um, activities and then uh, you can even take it further into like collegiate study there's a lot of programs in outdoor education and outdoor recreation now so it can in, in itself be a pretty in-depth field of study um, as far as health and fitness I mean I'm a big 
big proponent of working out, obviously. Also really a big proponent just of understanding how your body works. So I always recommend to people before you get, you know, obsessed with how to teach people to back squat, you should learn all the bones and muscles in the body and you should learn about nutrition and how the food you eat affects your body. So I'm a real firm believer in just going back to the basics and, and understanding how we work before trying to get too crazy with your fitness methodology. Yeah, I think that's a, a great set of uh, of priorities to get started for working out. Definitely, you don't you don't want to go the reverse direction. That's a injury prone route for sure. It is. Yeah, I mean, if you're following some master, you know, powerlifting program, but you don't even understand, you know, the basic body mechanics behind these movements you're doing, it's it's a recipe for disaster. You know, and if nothing else, hire a good quality coach who can get you started but you know know how your body works it's it's sad that we actually don't teach it in school that kids who graduate from high school every year and they still don't know how their own body works i i definitely agree um i guess this would be a this will be a two-part question could you prioritize your programs in terms of stuff that you find important i know Obviously, interests vary from mountain biking and wilderness survival and surfing, and those provide very different um, outlets for enjoyment and learning. Um, I enjoy all of those. What would you recommend kind of starting with? I recommend, I think, our basic introduction to wilderness skills and survival. It's a one-day class. I think you regardless of what activity you want to do going forward, be it continuing in survival education or mountain biking or rock climbing, learning the basic skill of how to take care of oneself off the landscape um, is something so primal. It's just returning us to our most primitive state. And that's, that's what that class is. It's not a huge commitment. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a week long thing. It's just, one day here in the redwoods of Northern California with me and my instructors learning the basics of shelter, water, fire, and food. And I don't think there is a better way to get started with wilderness education or any type of outdoor adventure um, than that. Definitely. So that you said that's one day. So for, for the out-of-towners, Brett and I are in Chicago, and I would love to come out and, and do them all, all right in a row. <laughs> Um, is there a way yeah. to is there a, is there a way to uh, to layer some of your trips together? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. We have a bunch of sequences. You can come out and do that along with some classes that follow it in sequence. Um, we have a lot of different course packages that can be bought. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of ways to either customize it or layer multiple classes on on top of each other so that you know you're not if you're from out of town, you're not flying to California for a one day class <laughs> every month. So yeah, we definitely can package stuff together. Cool, very cool. So I, I know you talked about the um, the wish to add kind of mobility training in schools, and and I have a bunch of similar philosophies on you know stuff that I think should be started at a much earlier age, um, and just kind of how how backwards our education of just general health, fitness, nutrition, and and general lifestyle design to be healthy. How would you change the education of health? And I guess this could apply to outdoor awareness or just the education around being active. Yeah, you know, it's, 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 oh, there's so many things I would change. Tear <laughs> <laughs> um, them all. Yeah. I think the pro, I think one of the most pressing issues as far as health education goes in our country is, is diet and nutrition. I mean, the food that, kids and families are putting into their bodies in this country every single day is criminal and you know it's like i don't even know why we're so obsessed with fighting a war on drugs when we're stuffing legally deadly food into kids <laughs> yeah. every single day so i would i would change more than anything i would re-educate our entire society on food because the processed food and the high sugar content i mean it's just, it's criminal, and it's no wonder that we have an obesity epidemic and disease epidemics left and right, because we're putting garbage in our mouths every single day, and, and, and that's something that could be so easy to teach if, 
if everyone was on board for it. Yeah, that's one of the big missions of what Jason and I are trying to do, that right there. Simplify that education and get it to a, a broad scale so that everyone can, can make those right decisions. Yeah, and I mean, people, you can definitely take it to a real extreme and, and start tuning in your diet nutritionally precisely, or we can teach kids really, really basic yep. things like, like, hey, if you can't identify what plant or animal this food came from, <laughs> there's a good place to start. Yep. <laughs> That would solve a lot of issues in this country. Yeah, you know, kids don't even need to understand macronutrients and stuff like that. If they at least can get some real basics about eating whole real foods, that would change an enormous amount. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think those are just key things that that – and I think there is some change to it. I saw an article yesterday about a school actually in California that is the first school that's going to be serving an all-organic menu. And I just wow. think that that is just like, although it sounds like, wow, uh, one of my favorite quotes is all food used to be organic. So I think that, <laughs> I think that we just need to get back to those roots. And I mean, it is, it's a basic, it's a basic thing, um, that when we when we talk to a bunch of people about this, that's, that's one of the things that we just really need to get back to. So we I really think do. that's cool. And until government and our institutions catch up parents just got to do it at home man yep. people got to stop stop taking the easy way out you know I and mean, i know your job is stressful and i know that you're busy and you get home and you feel like you don't have time to prepare food but like stop giving kids pre-packaged you know processed tv dinners and canned food and put some real food in your kid's mouth and preemptively save their life yeah every meal should be glorious Pop-Tarts yeah. and Lunchables just aren't cutting it anymore. No, no, they definitely are not. <laughs> so with our, our goal as a company is, is pretty much that in a nutshell. Um, and our goal awesome. with, this, with this podcast, too, is to, to find people who can, can help educate in that realm as well as just do amazing, successful things like graduate with a degree that they're not really sure that they want and three months later start an amazing company. So who within within your network could could would be great to have on our show and why would we love to put them on there? Mm, let's see. Um I think I mean one guy one guy in my network that I think is awesome who I've been doing a lot of work with is uh Pedram Shojai, who is uh the founder and operator of well.org. Love his stuff. Yeah, and Pedram's awesome. He's a good friend. And so maybe it sounds like you already know about him. But if you're able to talk to him and get him on the show, he's an amazing guy. He's super, super down to earth and kind of like hip and modern as far as the way he talks and works with people, especially I've seen him work with kids. And, and I think that's so important because sometimes we can make this subject really, really boring and uncaptivating and to sciency and he's just really has a great way of making things like hip and cool and fun um but also teaching really you know amazing and important uh wellness topics as well so i by all means i would recommend talking to pedro yeah that would be awesome his movie origins is actually the way that we found out about what you're doing i think his (laughs) his movie was i think there's a lot of movies out there that are trying to get uh, across that message of getting back to the basics. And a lot of them are really far out there. And what was interesting about that movie is I think it's something that everyone could watch, even people who could could care less about what, what this is and, and are just you know not really connected back to nature and just do their own thing. That was one that I thought really leveled the playing field and bringing in people who are just doing cool things in nature like yourself that aren't necessarily like all health focused people, um, but really just getting us back to those basics. That movie was one that I thought killed it there and was just awesome. So kudos yeah. to him for uh, yeah, no, us it finding was a you. Great movie and, and working with him on that, it was funny. That was kind of how I got to know him. And, and I remember um, him when he was pitching me about it, being in it, he, he was talking about being in like the health and wellness space. Yeah. And I was like, and I remember saying something like, I don't really know why you want me on this movie, man. Like, I teach, like, outdoor stuff. I'm not really, like, in that space. Yeah. Because, 
Cliff, you are in that space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You are that space. Yeah. yeah. And he like made me see what I do is more in the health and wellness space than so I ever cool. even realized myself. So yeah, just amazing guy. Really great guy. Cool. Very awesome. So where can people find more, um, more about you and your company and your, your projects you've got going on? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely visit one of my websites. You can either the company and the school website, which is adventureout.com, um, or my personal website that I do a lot of personal bookings through, which is just my name. It's cliffhodges.com. So either of those sites will link you up with me and the programs I offer, and I hope everyone checks it out. Cool. Do you have any, uh, do you have any sweet upcoming projects you can either give uh, another plug for or uh, share some yeah, cool secrets? Yeah, the, the, my biggest sort of project I'm working on right now is actually um, I've moved a little bit away from the day-to-day operation of Adventure Out, and uh, I now run a guide training and affiliation seminar where I teach people who already have maybe the outdoor skills but want to turn that into a profession, and I teach a seminar for people in how to start your own outdoor school and guiding business. And I teach everything from the basics of like forming a business entity to how to operate on public lands, permitting, insurance, working with government agencies, risk management, advertising. So I'm basically kind of trying to help people, other people do what I did, which is to start their own business and do something they're passionate about working in the outdoors. That's super cool. Um, yeah, I think that's just a great way to, to pass on that, that education. And, um, I think we want to thank you for being on the show, passing on all of your knowledge to our listeners. Um, we would love if you're ever in Chicago to hit Jason and I up, we can, we can find somewhere in this urbanite to, to go outside and adventure. Um, and if we're ever out in the area, um, we will definitely be, uh, be coming out to, to see what adventure out's all about. Very cool. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. I had a great time. I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks a lot. Man.